Welcome to The Courage Effect. I'm Suzanne Weller, and this is a show about growth and unleashing what's possible. You will hear inspiring stories about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we choose courage over comfort. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining me at The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne, and each week I talk with a guest about what they've learned through wrangling fear and risk, no matter how big or small the challenge. And today's guest truly is a powerhouse Latina trailblazer in the high-tech industry. She is Ileana Quinones. She builds and scales high-performing teams in addition to developing the next generation of people leaders. She's a strategic startup advisor for the ICA Fund, an organization that provides coaching, connections, and capital to grow Bay Area businesses and close the gender and racial wealth gap. Eliana is a passionate advocate and ambassador for equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace, and a certified Beyond Barriers coach focused on women professionals. Ileana has both a global and broad subject matter expertise with a career spanning over 25 years in more than 10 countries and three different continents. She's worked at both enterprise and startup companies, including Salesforce, SAP, and BEA Systems. She's held leadership positions in solutions engineering, product management, marketing strategy, consulting, and business development. Originally from Mexico City, Eliana holds bachelor's and master's degrees in computer science and information systems. She is an active board member, and she lives in San Francisco with her husband and their two daughters. Eliana, welcome to The Courage Effect. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for having me, and thank you to your audience as well for listening today. Uh, such a pleasure to have you join. And you are someone that I invited to be on the show because I know in my relationship with you, I have seen you be a very courageous female business leader, especially in the Latin community. I know that, you know, we met when you were at Salesforce, which you recently departed from, and you were a key person that really drove Latin force. And I've always, I've had so much respect for you for being somebody that isn't afraid to raise her voice in, in service of yourself and others and other voices that don't necessarily get the 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 visibility or the airtime. So thank you for all of that work that you do. Of course, you're welcome, Suzanne, and, and thank you for bringing that up. I think we all have a voice and we have to exercise that, not just for ourselves, but also for others, as you said, uh, others that have not known yet how to exercise their voice or that are in the process and in the journey to find their voice sometimes and even take the courage to actually use it and, and do it for others too. It's great. So obviously we're here to talk about courage. So I'd love to kick off with hearing what does courage mean to you? Thank you, Suzanne. And that's a great question. Um, I always um, think about it in, in this way. Uh, when we think about courageous people or courageous acts, a lot of people think that it's um, not being fearful, right, of something. If you're doing something, you're courageous because you're not fearful about something. And for me, it's actually quite the opposite. It's actually being very aware of your fear or the fact that you can be hurt or that you're in danger and being able and willing to actually act and, and take action on that thing that frightens you. So it's not that you don't have fear. It's more like acting in spite of the fear that you may feel. Wow. I, I love that you're actually saying it's not what you're not doing. It's what you are doing. So it's um, it's not being paralyzed in the face of something that is potentially threatening you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That ability. And I would say also then it's the ability, but also the willingness right, to take action in spite of that fear, for sure. 
Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that, the willingness. I think that's a really important point. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, sometimes I feel like you have the ability to do many things, right? But the willingness may not be there because either, again, you may be frightened, you may be fearful of consequences, or you may just be like too down, like too sad, too um, impacted by something that you are not willing to do it, even if you could, even if you had the ability, right? So I think that's why, um, for me, courageous things really have to take those two dimensions, right? One is the ability to do it, and that will require sometimes more or less strength, um, moral wisdom, right, uh, or mental, yeah, but it will also require the willingness to actually do it. Yeah, that's a really important point. I wonder with your upbringing, I mean, obviously you've lived in, in different countries, you've, you've worked in a lot of different organizations, but I'm curious for you growing up, what were the things that really made you courageous? How, how were you encouraged to step into that willingness? Oh my gosh. Well, I am raised a traditional Latina, as you mentioned in the introduction, and uh, originally from Mexico City, family of three women, three girls, I'm the eldest of three. Uh, my mother's family is pretty much all women, so her siblings are most of them women. And uh, I think courageous things uh, or the courage actually came early on for me, all the way from being in a family who we were not rich or anything. And we had to sometimes actually start working right at the early age of eight or nine, doing things that were just at home with the family business and stuff like that and um, and require some courage, right? I, I'm fearful or frightened about I don't know, going and using the machines in the in the factory that, that my family had and uh, all the way to, ah, can I say the, that I'm working when I'm at the school and stuff like that? I don't know, some simple things like those, right? And then, of course, later on when I was a teenager, then my, uh, my parents separated, they got divorced, and of course, the fear uh, or being frightened about like, what does this mean, right, for my family, for my younger siblings, and how to go about venturing into that, owning the fact that, well, this is a transition for the family, and what's my role in it? How do I understand it? How do I give myself grace to maybe fear, upset, anger? Why does this have to happen for a family to actually think about my role in terms of being the eldest daughter, and how can I help my sisters, right? How can I help my mom? How can I support her through this period? So I think different lessons through through life but obviously when you're a child it's also that that lenses them that perspective helps you also grow as a person so probably faster sometimes right that's one of the things that come along with adversity or, or things that are frightening you if you overcome them and you go through them you're for sure going to learn and you're going to grow from them yeah well, one thing that I heard you say numerous times there was, how can I help? How can I help my mom? How can I help my family? And it sounds like that's a core a core thread for you in your life and in your career. It has been, for sure, Suzanne. And I think part of it is because I, I think it's very personal to me in terms of how do you help others and in the process feeling fulfilled yourself. It's like being grateful. You know, it's like when you feel grateful for something, it's very fulfilling. So some people tend to complain a lot right? Some people tend to be grateful a lot. And I think the difference is what makes you feel fulfilled. And I think serving others, helping others, at least for me, it's something very personal that helps me feel fulfilled, helps me feel happy. And uh, and in the process, I know I'm impacting people's lives. So I think that's uh, that's something we should always strive for because it feels amazing when you do it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know you had something last year that happened to you that was unexpected and really impacted your life. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your courageous story. 
Oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for asking that, Suzanne. And yes, so sometimes life throws you curves, right? Curveballs, and then you just have to deal with it. Um, and this is also a reminder, because let me start the story by saying that uh, I turned 50 last year. And as it so happens, my February was in February, right before February, my birthday, I started having uh, vision problems in my left eye. And I thought, well, you know, that's totally normal because I just turned 50 and it's related to that. I'm older, so I will finally have to use glasses, right? So I went to the optometrist, as you can probably imagine, got the test done, and they said, yeah, all of your vision is deteriorating, but we can't quite point out why. And I was like, well, why? Because I'm old. <laughs> I turned 50. That's why. <laughs> and the, the ophthalmologist was like, yeah, no, it's not just that. And I'm like, okay. So hmm. they kept doing some tests. And then finally, they gave me this big test, which is called a vision field test. And uh, for those of you in the audience, some, some of you may know, it's, they put you and, and track different points of light in a big machine. And at the end of that test, uh, the technician said, you know what? Um, okay, I think I know what's wrong with your vision. And um, even though it's not a diagnosis, you have to talk to the optometrist. Uh, let me tell you that there's an 80% chance that this is a tumor. And of course I heard that. And immediately I thought, oh my gosh, I have a tumor in my eye. And uh, and I, I think my engineering background kicked in. And I started asking all these questions, right? Like, what do you mean a tumor? Where is it? How big is it? How long has it been there? The technician, oh my gosh, poor guy. He felt overwhelmed because he couldn't believe that I was asking all these questions instead of feeling like overwhelmed or sad or angry. And I told him, you know what? Well, I'm not feeling any of that because I need to understand first what exactly you're talking about, right? And then, of course, engineering background, I said, and you only said it's 80% chance. So there's a 20% chance that it's not this. So, so there, at the end of the appointment, I, I got out of there. Of course, reality started kicking in. I called mm -hmm. my husband and I said, hey, well, I need you to pick me up because I'm feeling kind of like weird. So my husband picks me up and I tell him, well, the diagnosis is a tumor. Of course, he freaks out too. We don't know what we're dealing with. And, uh, and then, of course, we start thinking about, well, what do we need to do, right? And the first thing I say is, well, I don't know what it is and I don't know if it's for sure, right? They call the diagnosis. So anyway, so to bring a long story short, the diagnosis was confirmed about a month after that. Uh, I got two second, third, fourth opinions, actually, from people here in the Bay Area, people in New York, doctors I knew or I was referred to. And at the end of the day, the diagnosis came up as a brain tumor, and that's called a tuberculum cell and meningioma. So for those of you who may be familiar in the audience, a meningioma is the most common type of uh, brain tumors that you can have. But the one that I had is very specific, and it's a very small percentage of meningiomas because it's located right below your optic nerves. It's pushing the optic nerves, and that was what was causing the actual um, vision loss. So that's, uh, that was my diagnosis, Suzanne. And at that point, I said, okay, so it sounds like I do have something in my brain or below my brain, technically, and I have to deal with it, and I have to take it out. Yeah. Wow. I mean, talk about talk about being blindsided by something, but then also, I mean, the interrogation of the technician is also interesting, just based on your background. Um, I, I know we need to take a break, so let's let's leave for a minute, but I'd love to come back and hear a little bit about what was next, obviously getting past that, that initial shock and, um, and what were your steps after that. So let's come back in a minute. We'll be right back, everybody. This is Suzanne, and you are listening to The Courage Effect. 
In business, your people are your most important asset. With so much change happening on the professional landscape, does your company have the expertise to support your employees for what the future holds? Maybe it's time for a partner like Plum. Female founded over 13 years ago, Plum HR Consulting provides human resources expertise to small and medium-sized businesses up and down the West Coast. Plum's HR consultants have more than 15 years of human resources experience in every type of industry, including tech, real estate, construction, manufacturing, and nonprofit. From long-term engagements to shorter projects, Plum can support almost every aspect of your business's HR goals. Allow Plum to take human resources off your plate so that you can go back to growing and leading your business. Visit PlumSeattle.com for details and information on their services. Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to The Courage Effect. This is Suzanne Weller, and I am in a great conversation with Ileana Quinones, who is sharing a story about... Um, turning 50, having some vision issues, and actually finding out that she had a brain tumor. So obviously a hugely impactful piece of news to get in your life. Um, talk us through what, what happened next. I'd love to hear about getting beyond the initial reaction and then how you got to where you are today. Great. Thank you, Suzanne. Yes, it was very shocking news. Uh, I think after the diagnosis, the next step was, what do we do with it? Right? Just understanding what were my options. Obviously, I felt anger, I felt anxiety, I felt frustrated and sad too, because I didn't know what the impact was going to be, not just to me, but also to my family, my husband, my daughters, right? So the first thing I did is educated myself. We immediately went to get the opinions of the treatments. It ended up being, uh, the treatment is removal of the tumor, and there was no other option because if we didn't remove the tumor, these tumors grow through time, and they cause full blindness. So obviously, that was not an option, right? I had to take yeah. care of it. So then uh, it was about where do we do this? So we did all the medical research and the, the different hospitals and different experts. And we landed up uh, here in the Bay Area with a fantastic neurosurgeon, Dr. Chow, whom I will be forever grateful. Uh, he did a fantastic job. So we decided we're gonna do this surgery. It was called a craniotomy, full craniotomy. And there were two different options, but we decided for different reasons, uh, we'll do the craniotomy, which basically involved opening obviously the skull, removing the tumor, and then hopefully uh, hoping that everything went well with the surgery. And uh, as it so happens, in the process of preparing myself for that, we also had to address things that were very practical in nature, right? Like, well, I'm dealing with all this, but I'm also working. So what am I going to do? Am I going to keep working? When do I tell people about it? When do I tell my family about it, right? Yeah. How, how much do I tell my daughters about it? So I can tell you it was a very intense process a lot of preparation. And again, as a good professional engineer myself, uh, the one thing I did throughout the entire time was educating myself. I guess I, I felt like I had gotten like a master's degree 
in meningioma tumors by the time I got to my surgery. And, uh, but that gave me actual peace of mind, Suzanne, because I knew what I was dealing with. I completely understood it. I completely understood all the statistics. And that gave me the, the data and the confidence also to talk to people about it, feeling more comfortable doing it and owning it because it was part of my story, right? So owning my story and what was going to happen to me, it was something that, that really gave me the courage to actually go and have those tough conversations, right? So then, of course, I had to tell my people at work, my manager, the head of my organization, who were very gracious, supported me all through the process. It was fantastic. Uh, we started working immediately on a transition plan because my surgery was fast approaching. So we had to put together a timeline and, and all these things. I had to talk to my direct reports, um, not to my team at large, just my direct reports initially. And then, of course, I had to tell my family. So I had to tell my mom, who, by the way, also suffered from a meningioma many years oh, wow. ago. She wow. had two brain surgeries actually throughout her life. And initially we thought, okay, this is totally genetic, right? And only to find out that no, these tumors, by the way, are not genetic. It's just bad luck of the way the doctors put it. It's just bad luck that your mother had it and that now you have to deal with it. Um, and then of course it was a period of preparation and educating myself about how to talk to my daughters about it. My daughters are older, so they are teenagers. And while they can process a lot of things, we knew that this was one thing that they could not necessarily process that well if we disclose the full information, especially around the risks of the surgery, right? So my husband and I were very intentional about having conversations with them, explaining what was happening, explaining that mommy needs a surgery, that everything will be fine, that of course it's a complicated surgery, but that things will be okay. And this is important to understand because I think when people are facing a tough situation, Sometimes it's very easy to just feel a victim, right? And surrender yourself to the fear or the anxiety or all that, or the or the anger too. And I think for me, keeping not necessarily an upbeat momentum, but keeping hope and being optimistic about the, the outcome of this process and this surgery was super important, not just for me, but also for my family. So that when I talked to my mom, when I talked to my relatives in Mexico, uh, it was more like, I'm going to be okay, guys. Like, and I want you to be strong for me, but, but know that we will be okay. So that part was a little tough. I, I can't lie. So it was tough because at times I was not feeling optimistic or hopeful. Yeah. In fact, one thing I did throughout the process was record myself. So I would take these meditational walks in the evening. I have a little dog, a King Charles, lovely doggy. Molly is her name. And I would walk for about half an hour every day in the evening. And sometimes what I would do is just document myself with my phone. And in a video, just saying like a minute or two about how I'm feeling, kind of like letting it all go out and knowing that, hey, nobody's going to see this, but it's a way for me to decompress right at the end of the day. And that was very helpful through the process. I'm um, curious, have you saved those recordings? Have you done anything with them? I have them. I haven't done anything yet with them. Initially, I thought, oh, this is great. I can do a documentary series of this. But uh, no, I haven't done anything to send yet. <laughs> yeah. At some point, I may go back to them or even my daughters, right? They may actually see them someday. Yeah, but, they're uh, there if you want them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, then, of course, uh, to your question about what was next. So, of course, then as we get closer to the surgery, which happened at the end of June, so it's going to be my, my one-year anniversary soon. Uh, then I had to tell the larger groups, right? So I had to tell my entire team at work. I had to communicate what was the transition plan, what we were going to do. Everybody was shocked. So you need, and, and you need to realize this. When you're facing something tough, one thing is how you react to it. And a very different thing is how people will react to it, right? 
But one thing is super important. You cannot go at these things alone. So I would yeah. say you need to trust the fact that people are there for you and people are willing to help you. So I would say don't go at it alone. So people uh, would be very helpful with me at work. Uh, we put the plan together. We got to the transition time. I decided to leave work two weeks before my surgery so that I could take some mental time for myself to be with my daughters, to be with my family. We took care of all the practical things at home. And I mean, all the practical things, Suzanne, which included anything from our updating our trust, our will, uh, our life insurance, the whole thing. I actually had to write letters to my daughters just in case mm. something happened during the surgery. So that was tough, but had to be done, right? So it's a practical thing that I would also encourage people when you have tough things to deal with, don't avoid the tough conversations because the tough conversations have to happen no matter what. It's better to address them and know that you can have those with people that are going to be empathetic and are going to be there for you. So fast forward to the surgery in June, um, which brings me to another interesting point, which is humor. Humor, super, super important to bring it up when you are going through tough situations and you're very fearful, right? So my quick thing about humor is that, uh, as it turns out, my tumor was not in the traditional form of a blob. It had the shape of a kiwi bird. If you're familiar with kiwi birds, they have really mm -hmm. long cheeks, really big bellies, and my tumor looked like that. And uh, the size of the tumor was about three centimeters, so which was the size of a nut. So I call it the kiwi nut. So I started calling my tumor the kiwi nut. So I put a name to the face of my fear. And uh, funny enough, I told that to my neurosurgeon who thought I was crazy for doing that. But here's the thing. The day of my surgery, I get to the hospital. I'm in this pre-op uh, sort of process. My surgeon comes in at the, in the morning and says, okay, Eliana, we're ready for the surgery. And I said, yes, Dr. Chow, we're ready. And he said, ready to take that kiwi nut out. And I'm like, oh my God, he finally embraced it. Embraced my name in the tumor like a kiwi nut. So I, it can sound like a very silly thing, I agree, but it actually made me go through it with a little bit of humor, lighten up the mood, lighten up a little bit of stress, took a little bit of the edge of the anxiety for the surgery, and also when I was having the conversations with people around me. So I would say, remember that humor is, is a great help, a great tool we all have at our disposal, if you're willing to, to use it. Um, going to the surgery. Suzanne, so I went to the surgery. The surgery was nine hours under general anesthesia. The removal of the tumor was successful. So the resection was about 98, 99% of the tumor. So I still have a remaining part of the tumor there, but the, for the most part, they took it out. And the best part of it is no neurological damage. So basically it was successful. The tumor was benign as well. And uh, yes, there was impact to my vision. So I can tell you, I lost my peripheral vision on my right eye, which was fine, funny, because that eye was fine before the surgery. But of course, you can't go through this major thing without impact. So I lost peripheral, peripheral uh, vision on the right eye. I cannot drive anymore, uh, forever. Mm -hmm. So that's a tough one. Uh, but again, embrace it, own your story. I feel like, you know what, all things considered, I'm super grateful that the surgery went well. There was no neurological damage. My recovery went fantastic. And I went back to work three and a half months after my surgery. Incredible. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. There's such an amazing recipe in there. of the positive, <laughs> the positive mindset. I mean, I just kind of want to summarize some of what you shared. The, the, the positive mindset, visualizing the positive result, right? And not falling into the victim zone. And naming naming the fear and naming the tumor. <laughs> For sure. 
and and really owning that, right? Owning the circumstances, but also bringing some humor and levity into it at the same time, and knowing that that you were strong enough to get through it. You could do what you 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 could do everything that you were able to do. So um, that's that's a truly incredible story, and I want to I want to commend you for going through it and being be, like, bringing the engineer's mindset to it, but then also at the same time, like the mother <laughs> and the wife and the daughter and the, you know, the colleague and leader. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there any, any final thoughts? I just know we have a couple minutes left. Any final thoughts that you want to make sure that you share with our audience or listeners just about this experience and, and what you took away from it? Thank you, Susanna. No, I think you summarized it really well, right? So optimism will keep you through it, will carry you through that not being alone, again, leaning on each other, on other people, right? Leaning on your on your family, your relatives. People will be there for you, willing to help. So please do not go at it alone. Uh, educate yourself, right? The more you know about something that's afraid, that makes you feel afraid, uh, the better you will be able to handle it and feel like you're in more control. And, uh, and the humor part is super important too. And then one last thing, Susanna, you'd say that um, people may think, well, what if the worst possible outcome could have happened, right? You know, that comes with life, right? There are risks in life, but guess what? Some of those risks are really worth taking. So yeah. even if that's something that frightened me to go into the surgery, a big craniotomy, not knowing what could happen. I mean, the alternative was not good. And and then the worth, the risk was worth taking. It. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for also reminding people that it's important to ask for help. I mean, especially from somebody that, is 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 a helper of others and you've really been that way your entire life so um what an amazing experience and you know thank you again as i said for sharing and thank you for for modeling the behavior and you know making sure that people can see and get the details on on who you are and also your larger experience um thank you iliana for being here today thank you for the invitation and thank you and grateful for being here and being able to share my story with others hopefully it will help some of you out there a great conversation. Um, I will make sure that your bio and links to get in touch with you are on our website for listeners, which is at thecourageeffect.com. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Stay courageous, take care, and we will see you soon. Thank you.